the Bible. Are you intimidated at the thought of reading such a complicated book? Do you find it daunting or delightful or both? Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. The Bible book club, where we read every word of this great book and then dig in and study it together. Hey, if you were wondering if you were actually listening to a telenovela, newsflash, you're not. You're reading the Bible. Yay. And really reading it, which is so encouraging. Right. But did you have any idea that the Bible was this salacious? Last week, we had an unlikely love story where Joseph, out of love for his brothers, his brothers who actually tried to kill him, yeah, he's yet going to save them because he's now in a position to do that. And it was a really sweet love story. The brothers end up, they do sacrifice themselves for their youngest brother. And then Judah courageously takes the lead and he makes this loving appeal for his brother, Benjamin. It's a very sweet moment. And we shared it together. So this week, we're going to cover chapter 45 and 46. And I've called this Joseph's unexpected save. And I'll get to that, why I think it's unexpected. But we are really at the climax of our story about Joseph and rapidly approaching the end of Genesis. When we left the reunion scene last episode, Judah had just ended up that speech that you mentioned by sincerely imploring Joseph to take him as a slave and let Benjamin go home to his father. And he said in verse 33, now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. And that was all that Joseph needed to hear. His brothers had passed the test. They would no longer do to Benjamin what they had done to Joseph. And then Joseph explained something, that he was sent ahead to save them, starting in chapter 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, "'Have everyone leave my presence!' So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Okay, it sounds super unbecoming for an official like that to have gut-wrenching anguish like that, just tears, and I cannot imagine the pain and joy that poured out of Joseph after all those years. I could only personally think of two times in my life when I may have felt close to what he was experiencing. And that was the first time I gave birth. Just, you know, the the pain of it, actually. But also the relief. You just feel this like such a emotional sense of relief and and then joy that that I just bawled. The second was when I pulled uh, in my driveway after a transatrial heart surgery. So just know this, I had this surgery that I had to have. I've had a pacemaker since I was 17, but there was a problem with occluded arteries and blah, 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 blah. And I had to go drive hours away to South Florida to have this special surgeon do the surgery. And it was very risky. And when I had pulled out of the driveway, my three little children, they were five, three, and one, had been standing on the couch. I'm going to ball, just thinking about looking out the front window. Their faces Mm -hmm. just pressed the window. And as I pulled out the driveway, I thought, gosh, will I see them? Will I make it through this? Will I ever drive back? You know, you just don't know. I I knew I had to be in the hospital for a week. 
And I just remember when I pulled back into that drive, A, I was in so much pain, just still from being cut in my chest two places. Um, But there they were again, the three of them, their little faces standing up on the couch, pressed against the window. And just the pain, the relief, the joy that I just started bawling, like wailing, which hurt my chest even more. The point that my dad came out, he had been watching my kids. He came out, they all came right to the door and he goes, are you okay? And it just said, I just couldn't stop crying from the relief. And that's what I think Joseph was feeling. 20 years of wondering, suffering, a just slavery, imprisonment, and thinking the whole time, will I ever see my family again? Will we be reunited? Will we fulfill God's purposes? And just that, that relief, that joy, but also that pain of knowing it was over. Um, that's what I think he was feeling. That's a really good analogy. I can, I don't really cry usually. It takes a lot to make me cry. Really? But the few, yeah, I just, I'm not a cry. I guess I sometimes cry in movies if they're really sad, like Beaches always makes me cry, but it's nothing compared to what you just talked about. I've never seen it. <gasps> I might cry right now. Oh my God. <laughs> Beaches is such a good movie. It's these Slumber friends. Party. It's these two Slumber women party. who are friends. And it's, um, what's it? it? Oh, Hershey. What? Dar- Barbara Hershey, I think is the other woman and, and Bette Midler and they're best friends. It's Bette Midler. It's not Bette Midler. I love Bette Midler. I can't believe you never saw Beaches. Okay, I'm you will cry. All right, I will. Yeah, I'm a cry. But anyway, it's not anywhere close to the type of crying that you're talking about that Joseph or you did. Okay, well, Joseph's, I think it was worse. <laughs> yes, much worse. Continuing on in verse three, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Okay, just side note, Joseph had already asked. He knew his dad was living, but he's the interpretation really of this is more like, is he well? Is he healthy? Mm. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you a remnant on earth to save your lives by great deliverance. So then, it is not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. All right, these are super wise words. And I want to talk about Joseph's wisdom and how it be- has it bears fruit. Two episodes ago, we talked about wisdom. And a side note, and I mentioned the Proverbs have so much about it. And Proverbs 2 specifically said this, and think of Joseph here, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. Think Joseph. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. Think of what he went through to get to the palace. For he guards the course of the just. Think of how he could have been killed by his brothers and not just thrown into the cistern and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair. Every good path. That is what Joseph just said. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. This man is so wise. He clearly sees, he understands what is right and just and fair and the path 
that God wants for this family, even though it wasn't fair to him. It was not fair to him. He doesn't care. Joseph is reaping the rewards of a life of seeking wisdom. He understands what is right and just and fair. And because of that, he has taken every good path. We've talked about the path a thousand times in Genesis. Every day is a choice and every decision you can go either down the good path or the evil path. So just know that. You know, I love what you said about it wasn't fair to Joseph and he didn't care because I think that that really sums up the Christian walk and the Christian life really well. Because if it was all fair, we wouldn't have Jesus. Exactly. Because right? it would be <laughs> us in there. And exactly. life isn't fair. Right. And there are a lot of moments in a Christian's life where you have to do things that maybe you wouldn't have done if you were doing the thing to be fair, to give back what was given to you. And Jesus said to turn the other cheek. And that's exactly what we do most times, even though it's hard, because if I'm going, I wasn't treated fairly. Why should I treat them fairly? Well, that's just not the way of the Christian life. That's what Jesus Mm -hmm. taught us differently. But anyway, we spend a lot of time in our culture trying to make things fair. Whenever my kids used to complain that it's not fair, I would just look at them and I go, no, it's not. No, life's not fair. I say that. It's just not. It's not fair. (laughs) And you can't ever make it fair. Okay, so these are the things I love about Joseph, his wisdom. And then Joseph's attitude is such an example to us in this. He has a lack of bitterness. He has given complete forgiveness to his brothers. He is forward focused, able to see beyond circumstances to God's greater plan, even when it's painful to him. He is Christ-like. Like Christ, Joseph was rejected. He suffered. He became a servant and he forgave. That is is Joseph and Christ to a T. What we intended for evil, crucifying Christ, God intended for good. It's the same story. Continuing on in verse nine. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have, I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves and so can my brother Benjamin that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded to me in Egypt and about everything you've seen and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept and Benjamin embraced him weeping and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them afterward his brothers talked with him when the news reached Pharaoh's place that Joseph's brothers had come Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased Pharaoh said to Joseph tell your brothers do this load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land You are also directed to tell them, do this, take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings because the best of all Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them, he gave new clothing. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father, 10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain 
and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away. And as they were leaving, he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. I love this scene. There are not many scenes in the Bible that have this kind of relational interaction. Remember, there are 12 brothers here. Can you just imagine the ones who real, whose idea it was to throw them in the cistern, oh, yeah. just crying with relief? Can you imagine over the last 20 years how many times they thought about, man, why did we do that? What were we thinking? Then can you imagine him just falling on Benjamin, his little brother and and so thankful that he's live and all of them talking and asking questions and like how did you get here and what were you mm-hmm. thinking when you first saw us and did you recognize this right of the way and how could we have not recognized you and what have you been doing for 20 years how'd you get to the palace and just so many details and 12 of them all talking at once i i love picturing the scene and i absolutely think it is so sweet and sweet how he told them don't quarrel don't along quarrel the way because I mean you, you know they're gonna start fighting or well I, I it wasn't my idea I told you guys not to do he it he was just triggered like a parent you know who sees his adult children as irresponsible yeah. teenagers like okay I don't want them to fight on the way home like they fought over me at the well or like they fought everywhere else you know just don't fight boys like they're still they're All still kids forgiven. to him it's in the past and it's so in Joseph's DNA Joseph has an will care for this family to the end of his life because of the man he is and how he came to be God's chosen instrument to save his family. I mean, it's just the way God's created him now. He will always take care of them. All right. Joseph's journey to exaltation is worth us remembering because it was unexpected. And that's what I titled this. He unexpectedly saved. No one could have guessed that he would rise from slave to savior, not his brothers, his father there anyone. Pharaoh. I mean, the other great thing about that story was how excited Pharaoh was. Pharaoh so loved him and his whole palace that it clearly says that they were so pleased. Like, oh my gosh, Joseph, the mystery guy, we don't know anything about his past. And all of a sudden his 11 brothers show up and he's all excited and crying and happy. And we're happy for him. We're going to give him the best of our land. Don't even bring your own stuff because what I give you is going to be even better. Enough. I know. Enough. So his journey to exaltation from nothing to palace you know, favorite, was unexpected. He used every situation to learn. He did not waste a lesson as a slave, prisoner, or servant. He Joseph did not seek glory at any point. He had developed this deep humiliation and quiet faithfulness and gave all the glory to God. And I promise you, that's probably why he was so beloved in the palace. You know, you know, palaces, political places, they're just people fighting for control. Mm-hmm. And Joseph was just always, you know, humble. Liked by everyone. Exactly. Um, Joseph's journey to exaltation was a testimony to others, to Pharaoh, to his servant. Remember last episode or the episode before the servant said, your God has done this to the brothers, to the baker who saw God in Joseph also when he he related the dream. Uh, Joseph's journey to exaltation was joyful. His joy and understanding of God's ways far outweighed his rejection and sorrow. He clearly said in the beginning of this, God sent me ahead of you. All Everything I suffered was to save you. And lastly, his journey to exaltation was a blessing to Israel. His suffering and faith saved his family and nation. That's why Joseph's journey is worth remembering because it's a great example to us. 
So Joseph was faithful even when no one was looking. And here's the hard lesson for us because most of us live relatively obscure lives. But Joseph was faithful when his life was obscure in slavery and in prison. Remember, there was a time in prison where he was forgotten for two whole years by the baker. Mm -hmm. And his obscure time was as valuable to God as his faithfulness in the palace. Faithfulness is faithfulness, regardless of the scale on which God chooses to use it. Whether you're just being faithful in front of your little children or you're being faithful as CEO of a company, it does not matter. Someone is watching and every someone is valuable to God. God wants us to be faithful where we are. Our purpose is not just comprised of the end result of our life. It includes the process by which we get there. And I sometimes forget that I'm so focused on like, oh, when I get to heaven, is God going to be pleased? It's going to blah, blah, blah. No, but it's not that end result. Like, oh, you finished well. It's how we get there. Every little thing we do. Sometimes that faithfulness is served out in obscurity with no recognition like Joseph received. But in eternity, your story will be told because God does not forget. Be encouraged that God sees you no matter where you are and how obscure you feel. And know that in those moments, if you feel forgotten like Joseph did, for those two years in jail or any other uh, of the times when he was having to wait for a delay. God's just preparing you in those times. There's a reason for it. And there's value in the waiting. Mm -hmm. I just always try to think like even, you know, that checkout counter person at Walgreens or wherever you go. I mean, how can you be a witness of the little corner place? Like we have a Walgreens like two blocks from us. I go all the time. Like, how can I get to know them? How can I be something? I'll tell you, after I had Megan, there was um, um, an elderly lady at our church that we ended up helping sell her house. She didn't have any family and move into a, a you know, home. And she couldn't pay. My husband was an attorney at the time and she couldn't pay us or anything. So she just would always say, please come up to the home because it was far away from everybody. And I'll teach you how to watercolor. Well, okay, I do love art, but you know, and I had a, a little baby, but I went up there every week and she was such a witness to me. Well, I thought I was witnessing to her. Mm-hmm. I thought I was visiting her because she was lonely and because she'd moved into this place, you know, this home far away. It's all she could afford and bringing my little three month old and the little who would just sleep through the whole thing as she talked, but she was witness to me. She was just so faithful in her love. And she'd have me wheel her down, you know, to the, um, to the cafeteria and we'd eat lunch down there. And she'd already made so many friends there. And I realized, you know, you can, nobody is obscure. Well, I think if you've ever gone on a mission trip or ever done any kind of community service, you, even though you're trying to um, witness to other people or you're trying to help others, you end up getting more out of it usually than the people that you're trying to help. Yes. Yeah. It's not that that's the reason to do it, but it's just a benefit that happens. That's just the way God blesses us. All right. Talking about God, let's talk about the sovereignty of God in this whole lesson about Joseph. God brings his plans to fruition through what appears to be the most devastating of circumstances. Joseph as a teen in 30, Genesis 37, 14, is told by his father to see to the welfare of his brothers. The comment is like a commission bearing more truth than anyone could guess. He tells them to go check. Remember that he tells them to go check on their welfare, but really he is commissioning him. He doesn't know it. When Jacob commissioned Joseph to the task, it was the last time Jacob saw Joseph for almost two decades. When they reunite, Joseph is doing exactly 
exactly what his father had asked, seeing to their welfare, literally to the point of saving their lives. Jacob could not have known he was commissioning him. The point here is that there is no choice that we can make, however sinful or fallen, that can interfere with God's plan. In this case, what the brothers did just furthered God's plan. And the principle is that God prepares us for what he is preparing for us, the saving of lives. So here is the question. Who in your life needs a lifeline? God is preparing you for something. And how is he preparing you? And what is it that he's asking you to do? Really think about that through listening to this story and think about the people in your life, what God's brought you through. If he brought you to it, he'll bring you through it. And then who do you need to walk through that same situation? How can you help somebody give a hand and help them through the situation that you're already on the other side of? Mm -hmm. All right. I want you to take off your Joseph hat and put on your Jacob hat because we can read this lightly and not understand what a big deal it must have been to Jacob. But I called this Jacob moves forward in faith because this would have been a big deal. Verse 25. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father, Jacob, in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He didn't believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. All right. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall because it says they told him everything. Like, did they tell him they really didn't? He wasn't killed and they threw him in the cistern. And did they tell him the whole story? Because how else would they have explained how he got to Egypt? And I would have liked to seen Jacob go through those emotions because I'm sure it was a very long, like a roller coaster of disbelief, anger. You what? How did this go down? Like it's been 20 years and nobody thought to come forward and tell me the truth after all this time. So I at least could have, and you didn't go after him. Like you didn't come back and feel bad. And then I would have sent you back to find him. Like we would have bought him back. <laughs> you know, Joseph, Jacob was a rich man. He could have bought Joseph back out of slavery. You know, 20 years of silence would have made me really ticked off. I would have been like, okay, guys, really? Yeah. Really? Right. You couldn't have told me, but he, I think Jacob, like Joseph, sees God's hand and sees that Joseph, this happened for a reason to save them in this point. Yeah, but I'm sure he got mad at first. You're oh, right. Yeah, I know. It would have been a great, like, which brother do you look at? And you, it's not like you could spank him at this point. And Jacob is old at this point. I mean, he's he's getting up there in years. Yeah. Did you ever have those moments where you went back and told your parents all the things that you did? Oh my gosh. No, but my, I told you my kids at Mother's Day, that was my gift telling them, <laughs> they told me all these secrets that they had not known. It was the most hilarious Mother's Day. I was like, you what? Huh? How did I miss that? It was so funny. I did that with my mom. And yeah, she, was, she wasn't She was really mad, but it was kind of like, oh, okay. I was a little bit of a wild child and I just downloaded all the bad things I had done that she had no idea about. Well, my kids are not all doing well, so I could laugh at it. I thought it was funny. but um, I think she might've thought it was funny too, after the fact. Exactly. All right. So I want you to think also why this next step is going to be hard for Jacob. So going to Egypt, in this case, would not be an act of disobedience as in Abraham's visit to Egypt. Remember, we have this vision of Egypt being the bad place that people go by mistake. But in this case, it's clear. This is a departure from God's command for them to be in the promised land. 
brilliant um, and his patriarchal policy. However, God has clearly sanctioned Joseph's leadership and judgment. Their existence depended on them leaving as the famine is going to last five more years. And they know this. Lastly, Pharaoh's offer seems to be another sign of God's blessing. Pharaoh's not just saying, come. He's saying, everything I have is yours. I love Joseph. His family is my family. Come on down. So it's pretty clear to Jacob that he needs to go. However, we can be proud of him in chapter 46 when we read what he's going to do. So Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. All right, let's talk about this section because I love this and I want you to think we're putting on our Jacob hat again. And remember, he's the grandson of Abraham, the son of Isaac. So we're he's really close to that patriarchal history. He knows the history of Egypt. He knows that Abraham went there and he shouldn't have. And he knows that Isaac did not go there. So he meet, he chooses to meet God before he makes this move and to learn more of God's plan. And he doesn't do it without praying first. He goes to Beersheba. Now, the interesting thing about Sheba is it's the very place where, where Isaac went and God had forbidden him to go. So he must be thinking in his head, gosh, my dad, God met my dad at Beersheba. I'm going to go to Beersheba because I'm going to pray that he stops me if it's the wrong thing because I don't want to make the same mistake my grandfather made. That that was in Genesis 26 too. It's also the place where Jacob had his very first vision or theophany. A theophany is a, a meeting of God. You, ha- you have a vision of God. Remember, after he stole the birthright from Esau, he has to flee and he flees to Beersheba and that's where he sees the ladder to heaven. So Beersheba is a reckoning place for him. And he goes there. Give the man credit. He does not want to make a mistake. He's moving his whole family. Well, and I think that's good, too, because we've seen a lot of times they repeat the mistakes of their parents. Correct. And in this case, he's learned enough and he's wise enough that he's not going to make that same mistake. Correct. Because this is a big deal to go to Egypt. I also think it's really interesting that in verse one of chapter 46, it said, so Israel set out with all that was his, even though Pharaoh told him not to bring anything, God must have told him to bring things because he does. And you don't disobey Pharaoh. Well, that, again, that's part of their their uh, cultural heritage. God told Abraham, remember, whenever they defeated anyone, do not take anything don't that plunder. I have not given you yeah. so that ever, no one will be able to say they made you a great nation. Right. I made you a great nation, God. And so that's why they weren't supposed to take things from other people. Now, We're going to get to Exodus and something different is going to happen when they leave Exodus. Yeah, and that's a really good point. I feel like I want to just point out to everyone, you're almost done with Genesis. So again, pat yourself on the back and just know we're going to get into our next book. It's going to be Exodus. It's going to be really fun, just as much fun as this book has been, because there's a lot of crazy stories that you had no idea were in the Bible also in that in that story, Exodus. So that's going to be next season of the Bible Book Club. And we're really crossing over right now. This is the crossover time. This is when they go to to Egypt. So, of course, in Beersheba, guess what he has? Another vision. 
Jacob's movements in and out of Canaan have been marked by visions. There have been several of them. And I want to point this out. It's just a little, little kind of thing here. But in each of them, he has a different name for God. And we know there are lots of names for God. But in Genesis 28, 10, he called God Yahweh. Now, Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night. Then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God, Yahweh, were ascending and descending on it. In chapter 32, verse 24, he calls God Elohim, mighty or strong is what that means. When he wrestled with God on the way to meet Esau, of course, God was mighty and strong. They were wrestling. Then in 35, he calls him El Shaddai, God all sufficient. Now we are in chapter 46, verse 3, and he says, I am God, Hael, the God, Eloi, of your father, which means the God of the covenant. Now, this last vision where he hears that that this is God of the covenant is telling Jacob that the instruction to leave the land should be seen as a part of the big covenant plan. It is not a change in the plan. God will make them into a great nation there in Egypt. It doesn't have to happen in Canaan. Does that make sense? So when he sees God this time, he's the God of the covenant because God is trying to tell him, this is a part of my covenant, you going to Egypt. I have a plan for you there to make you a great nation. It also reveals the answer to a mystery presented to Abraham 21 chapters ago. God said in Genesis 15, 13, then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. That little mystery word, land in a land that is not theirs is now revealed to Jacob as Egypt of all places, of all places for God to send them, to send them to Egypt. So are you saying he kind of knows that while he's going there to save the family for now, that it's going to be a place of slavery in the future? I don't think he knew slavery specifically, but hold on, I'm going to get to that in a section. That they were going to be there 400 years for whatever reason. Yeah. God is pointing out that although it would be a long negative experience in Egypt, God would be there working out his plan. He was going to go with them. Now, just as God had grown Joseph in Egypt through slavery and adversity, so would he grow the nation of Israel through slavery and adversity. That's exactly what we were talking about a little bit ago, where he's going to bring you through it. He's preparing you for something bigger on the other side of it. Sometimes it's something really big, Mm -hmm. like coming out of slavery and then becoming the nation of of Israel that they do eventually become, but I'm getting way ahead of us. Can't wait to get to Exodus, you see? I think also though, he was giving, okay, so think about it, 400 years, that's a really long time. Generation after generation after generation after generation. We don't know how many hundreds they were slaves because, you know, obviously when they first come here, they're not mm-hmm. slaves. It's several pharaohs later that then they become slaves. But think about it. If you were the slave, son of a slave, son of a slave, son of a slave, you would remember Joseph was a slave here. He had adversity and he arose out of it. We too can arise out of it. So maybe 
maybe just that example of Joseph suffering that slavery adversary, adversity gave them the hope that they too could grow out of it. The principle here is be like Jacob. Make a move toward prayer before you make any other move. And I'll go back to that original question. Not only pray about it, but who in your life needs help? Who right. in your life do you need to cash a vision to that you've come out of a situation just like them? Life is not just about our own path and our own um, things that we learn. It's really about bringing others along with us too. And giving them hope. Yeah. Turn around and give a hand to somebody who needs it. Yeah. But yeah. pray about it first. Mm-hmm. Good point. Continuing on, verse five. Then Jacob left Beersheba and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport them. So Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. Jacob brought with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. These are the names of the sons of Israel, Jacob and his descendants who went to Egypt, Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob, the sons of Reuben, Hanuk, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zahar, and Shaul, the son of the Canaanite woman, the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the sons of Judah, Er, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah, but Ur and Onan had died in the land of Canaan, the sons of Perez, Hezron, and Hamul, the sons of Ishkar, Tula, Pua, Jasab, and Shimron, the sons of Zebulun, Seirid, Elon, and Jeliel. These are the sons Leah bore to Jacob in Padanaram, besides his daughter Dinah. These sons and daughters of his were 33 in all. The sons of Gad, Zephon, Haggai, Shuni, Ezbon, Eri, Erodi, and Ereli. The sons of Asher, Imnah, Ashvi, Ishvi, and Birai. Their sister was Sirah. The sons of Birai, Heber, and Malkiel. These were the children born to Jacob by Zilpah, whom Laban had given his daughter Leah, 16 in all. The sons of Jacob's wife, Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. In Egypt, Manasseh and Ephraim were born to Joseph by Anaseth, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. The sons of Benjamin, Bela, Beker, Ashbel, Gira, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Mupim, Hupim, and Ard. These were the sons of Rachel, who were born to Jacob, 14 in all. The son of Dan, Hushim, the sons of Naphtali, Jazahil, Guni, Jahir, and Shilam. These were all the sons born to Jacob by Bilhah, whom Laban had given his daughter Rachel, seven in all. All those who went to Egypt with Jacob, those who were his direct descendants, not counting his son's wives, numbered 66 persons. With the two sons who had been born to Joseph in Egypt, the numbers of Jacob's family, which went to Egypt, were 70 in all. Okay, the list. I should have given them a warning (laughs) that I was going to read all those names. I know, but you did really well. Uh, So this list, there is lots of confusion about how they got to the number 70, which then there's also confusion about that because sometimes it's 72 in other places. And why is it so important? Well, the 70 number is what was in the table of nations in Genesis 10, also sometimes 72. It will be the number of elders for Moses in Exodus, the number of Jewish Sanhedrin, the number of disciples of the Lord, because this number symbolizes perfection. So the way 
way they get to that number is not always exactly the same. For example, like with Joseph's sons um, or with Judah's sons, you know, own and or they die. And so Perez's sons kind of take their place and they have sometimes the third generation inserted with the second generation. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. I wonder why some of them they gave the other generations and other ones they just it's mentioned them. It wasn't like they didn't have kids. It's a thing. And truthfully, I just couldn't find any commentary to which really was correct. You know, they all just have a reason. So just know that. Now, why it was important to even have it here is more interesting to me. They had to keep a record for the inheritance of the land in Canaan. So they're taking this kind of roll call because when they come out, even though it's going to be 400 years, they're so specific and meticulous in their record that all these people's kids 400 years later are going to get a certain part of the land. Mm -hmm. So this is an accounting of how the land is going to be divided. God commanded also that each man's inheritance of land would return to him in the year of Jubilee, no matter how they lost it. Now, the year of Jubilee happens every 50 years. So even after they get to Canaan and they've been there for years and years and years, if they go in debt and they have to give up their land, that land only really goes to the person they're in debt to until the year of Jubilee. And then they get it back. I've never the family gets that. It, back. it seems very It makes so much sense to me because I used to think, well, that's not fair for the person who has debt. But it really is kind of fair because they get to use the land for crops and herding and things like that until that time. And then they have to get it back. It's like, so it, it really is good to me because like then the sons of the sons of the sons who didn't get them in debt to begin with, get the land back for a fresh start kind of thing. You know, it's I like interesting. It. It's a good plan. After the exile, also in the time of Ezra, when they returned to Israel, the record was used to reestablish each tribe on their land. So again, this record is a record forever. And no matter whether they're exiled or they're slaves for 400 years or whatever, when they come back, they get the land back. And that's a serious tribute to these four wives who had these kids. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Like they're established forever. Well, doesn't it also kind of show that God keeps his promises that there were 70 of yes. them now and eventually there's going to be hundreds, right. Right. thousands. Right. Then lastly, finally, the ancient records preserved were preserved in the temple, this record, and they were used eventually to trace Jesus' genealogy. Which is why we read and study this book. Why we read all those little names, because they all lead to something, our Savior. Yeah. Well, I think that's important too. If you ever have anybody that is new in faith, I made this big mistake one time. I had somebody who was new in their faith. They said, I've never read the Bible. Where should I start? And I said, oh, start in Matthew. It's the beginning of the gospel. No, 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 no. Start in Genesis. They'll just get really confused because Matthew, as opposed to some of the other gospels, starts with this big, long genealogy. And he's like, I I tried to read your book, but it was just a whole bunch of names. I didn't know what they meant. Bounce on chapter one. (laughs) Don't, Don't tell anybody to read Matthew, but that's why it starts that way because they're really illustrating that here's the genealogy of these people you're studying right now in Genesis. That's how it starts out in the Gospels. Yep, sure it is. Yeah. All right, let's keep going. Verse 28. Now Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. When they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father, Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, 
He threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. Israel said to Joseph, Now I am ready to die since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and speak to Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who were living in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds. They tend livestock and they've brought along their flocks and herds and everything they own. When Pharaoh calls you and asks, What is your occupation? You should answer, Your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. Then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all the shepherds are detestable to Egyptians. That Joseph, he doesn't miss a trick. Mm -hmm. He has been away from his family for decades, and yet he still remembers God's plan that they must be separate. They must live separately. They must not intermarry. And here he is. He is, he, he is, gets it. He's been living with the Egyptians, and but he knows his family cannot. They have got to live in this place. And he goes, just tell him, just basically tell him you're detestable. <laughs> you're detestable. So he'll let you yeah. go have this land over like, here instead of forcing you to, to do live. that. Yeah. yeah. Just tell him you're, you're detestable. <laughs> And they'll leave you alone. He's So he is setting them up at Goshen and they're literally going to stick there for 400 years. And the point, the point at the end of this is this is the beginning of 400 years in Egypt. But it gave the Israelites a chance to increase before they face their enemies in Canaan. They're going to become so numerous that they're going to be able to go back to Canaan and take it over. And they became separated from all the bad influences and temptation to intermarry in Canaan that they had already succumbed to. Judah succumbed. And so they need to be removed from that. And lastly, they learned much from the Egyptian culture. They learned they were educated and civilized. Think of Moses, man. He's going to be raised in Pharaoh's house. He's going to know how to read, write, do the whole thing. And he's going to take that with them. And he's going to make those tablets out of stone. And he's going to know how to start writing this stuff down because the Egyptians were the masters at that. And he becomes a great leader because of it. Exactly. Well, as I close out this chapter, I was reminded of Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And that's a great promise. That was for Joseph, but also stands for us. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome Welcome to to the the club. Club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to SusanMe.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio. Edited by Buck Buchanan. Produced by Haley Mawatt.